welcome back to this month's Women in Dev podcast. Hope you're all doing well and if you're like me and you're somewhere where spring is beginning to come out where you are, hope you're all enjoying the sunshine and getting out in the fresh air. This is our last episode of season one and I just wanted to take some time to thank everyone, all of our guests, for joining us for this season and also for you listeners out there who've come with us on the journey. I hope that you've found each episode engaging, you've been introduced to some new amazing experts and yeah, it's made you think about different things in your work and also in just personally and, and politically about what's going on. We think we'll return in the autumn time for season two and as always if anyone has any ideas or wants to come forward with some guests please do reach out because we're always keen to collaborate and expand who we have for not just the podcast but events that we run at WID. Like many of you I've been watching Putin's invasion of Ukraine and and the kind of horrors that have unfolded since then And I really wanted to do an episode that looked at where the women are, particularly involved in the kind of peace negotiations that are set to, to start or actually have started today. When you look at the news coverage and when you see the delegations coming in, I'm often struck by how many of them are men. And historically, this is very true, research backs this up. And it's really interesting because... Women are just as much affected by this war, affected in different ways and in particular circumstances. And it's so important that their voices are heard during these negotiations in order for it to be a successful peace negotiation, if that's if that's what will happen. So for today's episode, I was joined by Eva Tabasum. Eva is from the Gender Action for Peace and Security Network, or GAPS UK. And she's currently the acting director at GAPS, having taken over recently. She's worked across the Europe and the Middle East, focusing on youth participation, gender and human rights and refugee law. And she's got a really interesting and insightful approach to understanding where women sit in kind of these peace negotiations and how we can create better systems that allow for women to be involved and why it's so important that they are involved at this level. And I think for many of us, we don't really know what's going to happen today in the Ukraine-Russian peace talks or or tomorrow. But one of the things that I really enjoyed speaking to Eva about was that she's discussed how each of us in our own countries can be lobbying our individual governments or civil society to ensure that funding goes to Ukrainian women's groups and also to lobby that on behalf of the international community that women have to be heard in these peace negotiations and also to be acted upon. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Thank you again for listening throughout the season. As always, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter. Drop us a message. Let us know what your thoughts are for the next season. And yeah, look forward to speaking to you all soon. Thank you so much for joining Eva. Um, It's really nice to have you on and I know it's been a busy couple of weeks for you so I appreciate you taking time to to chat today. Um, I wanted to, obviously the whole industry and world and the sector has been kind of consumed by Russia's invasion of Ukraine and what's going on there and if there's going to be any kind of resolution or peace negotiations and I noticed this morning that I think um, peace negotiations have started already and we're seeing you know talks happening and discussions of of 
what is going to be a resolution to, to, to what's going on. And I think for myself and for others who are maybe in the kind of feminist space, I'm constantly like, where are the women? And, you know, looking at the photos of of the negotiations and it, not just in this conflict, but in others and thinking where where are the women involved in this? I wondered if you could just start off from your perspective, kind of being an expert in this space, how you found the negotiations so far in terms of UK and Russia from a gender perspective and what if if women's participation has been involved in that and what, what that's looked like. Yeah, sure. Um, I guess firstly, uh, thank you for inviting GAPS on this podcast. Uh, we're honoured to uh, be invited and come and talk on um, the work that we do. Um, and then I guess more in terms of your question, I think a lot of it, I mean, all we see on the television or our screens are, is Zelensky, right? And everything about military and arms and women have quite, they've been invisible, to be quite honest, when we look at the media. And unless you go seeking for it, you're not really going to know what women are doing. But of course, we know what women will be doing on the ground, because like all conflicts and crises, they are working on the front lines in their communities. They're doing these multifaceted roles, whether that's you know, MPs taking up arms or women making Molotov cocktails or women working in the, you know, bunkers, you know, in the subways, whether that's sorting aid, providing shelters, um, you know, so on. We know they're doing that role. They always do that role. I mean, we just have to reflect to what women were doing in the COVID COVID-19 pandemic. But again, a lot of this stuff is invisible. And then that also means that any response military or humanitarian on the international level women are also not represented they're not there and we see it time and time again so you know it's disappointing and 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 it you know does beg the question where are the women and everyone keeps asking this and I feel like the international community has to do better I mean for example you know the UK we talk a lot about women's meaningful participation but we're not seeing it we're not seeing them ask to speak to I don't know you know the equivalent of these top roles or in these negotiating teams of women so yeah I mean it's not surprising but we know that the heart of the hard work that they're doing uh, you know especially within the women peace and security community um, and they just need to be supported right because they know the self-identified urgent needs and priorities of women and girls, excluded groups, because they've been doing the work for so long. I mean, a lot of them could have told you, you know, we've been doing this work for years, like way back in 2014, you know, but no one listened to us. You know, we, we always come to this same, the same problem. We're here because no one listened to the, no one listens to the women. I think you're completely right. And I think what's really interesting about it is that when you look at the studies and the evidence, it shows that when women are involved in peace negotiations or more involved in these discussions, they do they have a higher rate of success. I think it's like 64% are less likely to fail according to some, some research that's there. So what is it that makes a difference for when women or civil society are involved in those groups and what makes it that so that kind of peace treaties are more successful what was that kind of hidden ingredient there some people say oh it's because women are inherently more peaceful I mean let's stay away from that gender stereotype you know it's nothing to do with that it's more that you know they represent half the population they're doing this work whether that's officially or unofficially on the grassroots level they're in the community they know their community they're doing this work 
And, you know, having that representation and having that inclusion, you know, in these peace negotiations means that you've got this invaluable knowledge and understanding, right, of the needs of civilians on the ground. So, and particularly given that overlap between humanitarian and peacebuilding activities. And so when you have that and you have this intersectional gender lens, you're going to allow for more perspectives to be brought into the future of that said country and in these processes. So that's why these processes have a higher uh, chance of success um, because you have a diverse opinion. You have a diverse of like expert knowledge on the ground. Whereas at the minute you've just got half the population. Yeah. And it's so funny because it's so straightforward, right? It actually makes a lot of sense. It's like you have more people represented, you have all those groups in there, like of course it's going to be. But like time and time again, as you said, people, women are not included in, in in these peace negotiations. I found this article yesterday just while I was doing a bit of research was saying that with the negotiations that are going to happen now I imagine some of them will be virtual right so they'll be over over zoom and I imagine they had before but with covid we've obviously expanded our kind of like digital infrastructure and how we use how we use video calling and stuff do you feel like there's an opportunity there for more women and civil society groups and other diverse groups to be involved or do you see that do you see that these structures will still exist and that that doesn't really facilitate any more representation yeah, I think you've got like a couple of problems. Like, okay, pre things being hybrid or online, like obstacles for women's participation. Like, okay, first one thing is that you know the inter- either the international community or the country in itself are not so concerned, so they won't have a represented a delegation. Okay, and then you have international communities who don't really sign up to what they say and don't ensure that their top negotiators are that they that they have women. Okay. So a lot of it sometimes is rhetoric. Uh, and then any negotiations that include women will be on the sideline and it will be women in civil society. Um, and that's not saying that that's not good. That uh, shouldn't happen. No, that should happen, but it's not good enough. We need to go further. And so you, you've got that. Then you've got other obstacles when women are invited and that's and that they haven't been thought through. So that's like visas, childcare, travel, security, so you have all of these things that aren't looked looked at. And so how do you expect women to participate? You might have these diver- these hybrid now events, but again, it has to be meaningful. I mean, I just don't anticipate that they're going to have top level negotiations over Zoom or Teams, you know, and, I ju- and there just needs to be more of an effort to make sure that the inclusion of women is meaningful. Um, And and that's just not happening at the minute. And then also further to that, if you're going to like ask women to participate in peace negotiation processes and, you know, they don't always work, they do fail. We just have to look to Afghanistan. You need to ensure that those women are protected. And so, you know, a lot of people forgotten what happened in the Mm -hmm. summer. There were women rights activists, women rights organizations, leaders who had been very vocal and the Taliban took over and then they were at they were at risk and you know women activists have been they've disappeared they've been killed and so you know along with participation comes ensuring that that space is safe for them to uh, participate uh, and often in, the international community gets that wrong and they forget to you know think about that and in terms of participation of women you also need a representational kind of diverse group of women who are attending you know they're not women are not a monolith like there are different diverse groups that need to be represented 
you know, you'll have formal actors, you'll have informal actors, you know, there needs to also be a chain of communication between them so that you actually get the representational kind of, you get the representation of all women, you know, across whatever said context that is. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think that that narrative really resonates with those that are in our community because a lot of them are working kind of like women's and feminist movements. And a lot of the stuff that you're saying could be translated over to, you know, UN conferences or you know any kind of any kind of space where where women are invited it's about how do you make that really representative and as you said ensuring that kind of all the spectrums of, of women and their needs are, are are heard just coming back to that because as I said a lot of our people in our network are are based in kind of women's groups and feminist organizations I think a lot of them would like to advocate for or, or, or find ways to be more actively involved in, in in kind of these processes or that kind of way is there aside from sort of like being invited to participate is there things that the, those kind of groups can be doing say for example women's groups in Ukraine or around there to to kind of um, advocate for and be involved in the processes is there anything that they can be actively doing to to be involved I mean my understanding is that they're organizing amongst themselves on the ground as much as they can but a lot of the women rights orgs are uh, displaced a lot have uh, become refugees in neighbouring countries. So my understanding at the minute is that they are trying to group and build some kind of m- movement together. But for them, I mean, I think for I think it's more like what can we do to support them on the ground? And I think what we can do is facilitate space and access for them and be led by them. And so it's not really us telling them or helping them. It's, it's kind of them telling us what they need and we supporting that and helping them do that. Um, and whether that's us, like, I don't know, having a meeting with an international donor, but actually facilitating that kind of same access and space for a, a Ukrainian a women's rights org um, to say, look, this is what's happening. This is what, ne- this is what needs to be done. That's kind of how I see the role of like gaps um, in, in how we respond to this crisis. I think a lot of people in this space have been like, how do we respond to this? And, you know, not to to also acknowledge that we're, this conflict is getting a lot more response and, re- and resources poured into it than, than others in the past and not to take away from the seriousness of the, of the situation. But there's a real shift, I think, happening of like, why is why are we not talking about Afghanistan or why are we not showing the same kind of, kind of approach? I guess to kind of build on that, you know, if you were a civil society group in, in, in the Netherlands or in the UK or something, a, a women's group, would you be saying to advocate on behalf of your government to kind of push for that better inclusion and that kind of way I guess to kind of you know suspend reality a little bit but if you had this idea of like you could build your own you know uh peace negotiations in 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 whichever world we're living in what would be some of the key things that you would implement to create that system so that they would work and so they wouldn't fail is there anything that you you know would would work well for you and, and you could suggest you talk about the funding about lots of money and resources being poured into it but a lot of that money needs to directly hit women's rights organisations because they specifically need that money because they know what is happening. They are responding. And, you know, women's rights organisations have historically been underfunded. You know, they're working tirelessly with no resources, right? And Awood did, a, you know, a really great piece and they put out, like, you know, women's rights orgs get directly funding, only 1% of all funding. I mean, that's shocking, um, so for us to support them, we, you know, we need to make sure that funding is um, directly allocated for them so that they can spend how they see fit, whether that's to be spent on visas, 
childcare, all of that stuff has mentioned, all those obstacles, those obstacles, they're not insurmountable. They can be dealt with. So international communities or whoever the host of that country that's holding these peace talks, they should look into that. They should ensure that that, you know, those obstacles don't exist. And then just in terms of like what what other civil society groups could do, I mean, GAPS specifically, we put out a sort of uh, two-page briefer on like particular asks of the international community, well, in particular the UK government. And, you know, again, it's funding. Make sure a proportion of the, the humanitarian funding goes direct to women's rights organisations. Make sure you have dedicated gender advisors in your humanitarian and military responses. You know, like learn from your previous crises and, and ensure those lessons learned and make sure you then you approach this correctly. Let's not make the same mistakes. Um, so I would say the same to other civil society groups in, in, you know, in other countries. Speak to your national partners, speak to your local partners, or if you have any const- uh, contacts on the ground in, in Ukraine. See what it is that they want and then amplify that message. On the, the delegation side, both delegations need to have women women talks need to not just be on the side they need to be integrated essentially that you know that's going to make for a better peace process but like consultations with women with women rights organizations those leaders those on the ground that are doing this work officially or unofficially if you the process is only as good as you make it if you 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 know reach out to those that are affected who are the stakeholders who who has you know who, who will be impacted so i think you know peace process really needs to consider you know really ensuring that they are consulting with different actors on the ground that makes a lot of sense and we can link to the um, two-pager in our show notes so people have access to that because that sounds really valuable I think it's just this like comes back to this idea of listening right it's just like literally asking people what they need and what they what they want and kind of ensuring that that's part of it we don't know what's going to evolve in terms of the kind of Ukraine Russian um, peace talks but what are your hopes that will come out of that like do you have any in terms of like the work that you're doing with gaps as well are you kind of advocating for a particular approach or kind of work that you're doing what are your thoughts on there yeah what are my thoughts I mean look we'll see what happens I mean I mean I I am a, yeah I should be more of an optimist but I'm not um just because you know we've seen it time and time again and and, and again you know there's not a lot of transparency at the minute on what's actually being said or what's happening um again you know with the absence of women, I mean, do we have any hope? You know, that it's not fully represented. Um, again, you know, for us, you know, militarism, patriarchy, imperialism, capitalism, they're all intrinsically linked structures, right? And they all rely and thrive on war. And the end goal as a feminist and an anti you know, and for anti-war is that like these need to be dismantled for <laughs> any sustainable peace. But you know, in the interim, for us. We need to stand in solidarity with the people of Ukraine. We need to be guided and led by those women rights organisations. And we should also actually support Russian feminists, right, as well, because we haven't actually spoken about them. And they've been amongst the strongest anti-war voices in Russia, you know, and they've come out and they've been, you know, doing their protests. And, you know, we have to think about how dangerous that is for them. Russian feminist groups and individual feminists, they're being arrested and, you know, they're disappearing. And then you've got Ukrainian women actually doing the work. So uh, I, you know, I don't have any hope. I hope any, if, you know, the international community get involved, I hope that they, you know, meet their women, peace and security commitments 
you know, one of the pillars is, you know, participation and they ensure meaningful participation. And, you know, I'm sure as GAPS has done in the past, as GAPS is currently doing um, and other organisations like GAPS will continue to advocate to the governments to ensure meaningful representation for women and participation. Um, and, and they do that correctly. Um, you know, we need to also ensure that we're not extractive and we just, you know, sometimes we can, oh, we'll consult women or we did consult women rights organisations, but then they don't actually do anything with that information or with what women have been asking them. And then that can, that's just not, that's just not correct at all. We're watching carefully. We're, we will be led by what uh, the needs and priorities and asks are of women rights orgs on the ground. Um, and we'll continue to do that. Great. And I think you're right. Yeah. You can't just have an activity for the sake of it. Like that's not at all meaningful in any way. And I really hope that any consultations that do happen do actually take on board what's being said, because there's no one else that knows what they need except the people of Ukraine and particularly the women who, you know, who are kind of involved in that way. Thank you so much. That was really great and really interesting. I wanted to just give you a chance if you've got any anything coming up with gaps that you wanted to plug or let people know how to get involved. I know you're UK based um, and our kind of um, women endeavour are all over the world, but we have quite a big contingency in the UK. So we'd love to hear what, what you're up to at the moment. Well, our current focus is at the minute is um, working on uh, providing civil society input into the UK's uh, renewal of their National Action Plan on Women, Peace and Security. So we're currently working quite a bit on that at the minute, and that's kind of the main focus of our work. And then, um, you know, we're quite a reactive organisation, so we, we're responding to quite a bit of, um, you know, you'll see with all the uh, kind of funding aid cuts to the UK. So we're currently ensuring, uh, you know, ensuring that any funding gets restored because at the end of the day, ultimately women and girls are impacted the most. Um, so that's kind of where our, our main work is going. Um, we have a, an event. We work um, with the Secretariat, the All-Party Parliamentary Group on Women, Peace and Security in the UK. And we have an event on Yemen coming up, which we're quite looking forward to. Um, and that, again, talks about, you know, women's participation in peace processes um, and, and what are the obstacles, what are the challenges and, and, and what are the opportunities and, and how can we learn for future crises and um, future contexts. Um, but yeah, so that's really much what we're working on in the next couple of months. Well, thank you so much, Eva. That was really great. And it was really lovely to speak to you. Um, and as always, for the Women in Dev listeners, if you have any thoughts, any questions, you can uh, find us on our Instagram at Women in Dev and on our Twitter at Women Dev. Thanks very much. Enjoy the next episode.